please stand to honor God as we read from his word. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and the city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back 10 steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the 10 steps by which it had declined. It must have been season two, three, four, somewhere in there when we realized you had to be careful when you heard someone say, trust me, I'll be there. Back in the mid-2000s, remember this. You could get DVDs sent to your home. You didn't have to go into Blockbuster. It was amazing. And so that's what we started to do. Um, and I told Julie, I've been hearing <clears throat> about this show, 24, Jack Bauer. So we started watching 24 and Jack Bauer, and it blew our minds. It was so awesome. And we learned that Jack Bauer was not to be messed with. Now, he was a messy person, but he was sort of like Chuck Norris, right? He could do no, everything he wanted. He could save you. He could kill you. But you also knew whenever he said, trust me, I'll be there, he wouldn't. Not at first, right? Anytime anyone said that, you could roll your eyes because you knew something was going to happen. It wasn't going to be that easy. So we are looking at the book of Isaiah, and we're talking about what it's like to be in the presence of greatness. And all along the way thus far, we've been setting up uh, where we are in the Bible in the book of Isaiah. This, these are in the 700s B.C., okay? And so uh, I wanted to show you a few things. We're going to, I don't always have slides, but today I've got a million of them. So this guy, his name is Sennacherib. He is the Assyrian king. We talked before about Tiglath-Pileser. So this is his son, Sennacherib. So here's one picture. Here's another picture. And then someone took a photo. Look. Okay. And then also, hit the next one. So this is, I wanted to show you. Oh, so here we are in, you know, the Holy Land. Israel and Judah have split up. So there's the northern kingdom and the Southern Kingdom, <clears throat> this is so we can get our, we start talking about all these places in history. Um, and so then the north gets subsumed and taken out by the Assyrians. Okay, so here you see the Assyrians, right? And the Babylonians are small at this point. They're going to eventually take over. 
And, and so look at over Judah, it's right over here. But now you can see the northern kingdom of Israel has been, uh, has been taken over. See? 7045. Okay, what's the next one say? So here's what happens later. Remember, it's the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans. So here now we see what happens later as we go forward. Do I have another one? No. Oh, okay. So then, this one is, um, where are we? Okay, look at, yeah, right there. We're right there. We last time talked about Ahaz, King Ahaz, and he was a terrible, terrible king. And so now we're going to talk about Hezekiah. So we've come all the way down from Saul, David, Solomon. We're almost here to the bottom. So you can have in your head where we are, okay? That's it, right, Steve? Then we have the filler. Okay. So this passage in, the, in Isaiah is the end of the first half of the book, conceptually, not uh, chapters. And if you look in your Bible, you see that all along the way we've been uh, hearing Isaiah tell these uh, prophecies, but here in 36, 37, 38, we have narrative. So this is not Isaiah's prophecies, although they're in here. This is like the stuff that happens and um, this is one of the most important events in the Bible. It's talked about two other times in 2 Kings 19 and 2 Chronicles 32. And, and we've been hearing about all of these chapters where God will judge the nations around His nation. And, and He said they will all fail. And they will all become subservient to Yahweh. And so we've been... Uh, thinking about a geography, sociology, political policy, and theology lessons as we've moved forward. Because Ahaz, King Ahaz is gone. King Hezekiah was born in 741. He inherited a mess. The northern kingdom was destroyed in 722 when he was 19. And now it's 701. 701. Hezekiah's name means Yahweh strengthens, the Lord strengthens. So we're going to look at three things, Hezekiah's sickness, Hezekiah's kingship, and Hezekiah's legacy. We're going to look at two prayers and one psalm. Okay, Hezekiah's sickness, prayer one. This is what Kathy read for us. This is chapter 38. <clears throat> it says this, in those days... Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. Now, this is important because somebody put together the book of Isaiah. Um, it's no problem if it wasn't Isaiah himself. That's fine. No big deal. But this person put this part at the end of these three chapters. But this part actually happened before chapters 36 and 37. So there's a reason why the editor did it that way, but this is before, and so now we have a sick, sick Hezekiah. Last week, I was sick. Remember that? That was pretty awful. I did not sound very good. I feel like I sound better. Do I look better? <clears throat> um, being sick is awful, isn't it? I haven't been sick in a long time <clears throat> until last weekend. And of course, now we're 
sickness is always on our minds. Um, but to be sick under death, and you, you just hear these awful stories about people that went in and never came out. And of course, uh, in the last few years, they would, no one was able to be around. We had these like, awful funerals where no one was present. Um, it's brutal. And so in this sickness, Isaiah comes in, the, the prophet, and he's speaking authoritatively for God. And he says this, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. These are not words you want to hear. Hezekiah is like, dude, this is not my time. I'm only 40. You know, most of the kings of Israel and Judah died of natural causes, not all of them. And, and they lived pretty long, although the life expectancy in these days wasn't that long. But one of the things about Hezekiah at this point, 40-year-old you know, Jewish man, he didn't have, have children, which is pretty odd for royalty especially. If something's going on with him, this would have been considered a judgment from God in this era. And so Hezekiah, when he heard this news, he could have been depressed, right? He could have taken his own life. He could have gone crazy, like, well, I'm going to use these last months of whatever I got and go insane. He could have, like, tried cryogenics, something. But So he doesn't do any of those things. He turns to the Lord. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. And he said, please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart, and I have done what is good in your sight. And he wept bitterly. So, faced with the news of his death, Hezekiah prays to the Lord. Now, let's be honest. This is not the most awesome prayer of all time. Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and a whole heart. Mm, okay, maybe. And I have done what is good in your sight. Not, you know, I'm not sure, but okay. Um, he'd been faithful to the Lord. At some degree, right? His father couldn't have said that. Ahaz, no way. That would have been completely crazy. So Hezekiah is doing pretty well. There's a book of prayers, uh, Puritan prayers, called the Valley of Vision. Have you heard of the Valley of Vision? And these prayers are amazing. Like, you, you read these prayers and you go like, whoa, people prayed about these things this way? And they start praying about their deaths. And it is uh, profound. I'll post a link to it on Wednesday email. It's, it's just profound when you read these prayers. But he, he hasn't read that yet. Prayers can also be short. <clears throat> prayers can be short. They can be spontaneous. You know, sometimes you can be, a prayer could be like, wow, or I need help. They can be fast. So he prays a pretty short one, and God hears immediately what? Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. You got 15 more years, Hezekiah, because I, Yahweh, am not a God of stone or wood. I am real, and I hear you, and I see you. And I will save you now. Now, three years later, 
Hezekiah has a son named Manasseh who becomes the next king who reigns for 55 years. So one of the answers that God gives to our impossible prayers is yes. Remember that now. He also says no, not yet, and I'm not telling you. Those are the four answers God gives to prayers. But one of the answers is yes. And he even mentions in this prayer, his answer, he mentions the covenant of David. So he's, he's saying, I'm a God of commitments. And I made a commitment, and it's connected to this answer right here. And then he says, I'm going to give you a sign. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has promised. Behold, I don't know, like I'm thinking to myself, Hezekiah, what do you expect is going to be the sign? I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. Whoa. God made the sun go backwards as a sign to Hezekiah. So Hezekiah, weak and frail, looks out the window and sees Ahaz's sundial go backwards. That's amazing. That's certainly a miracle. That would say like, okay, maybe I can trust God. He made the sun go backwards, right? Remember last week we talked about how Ahaz wouldn't even ask for a sign. God said, ask for a sign. He said, no way, no way, I don't need a sign. And that's not good. When God says, ask for a sign, ask for one. He didn't know he could ask for this. And this happened. And so then Hezekiah starts to get better. Look at the very end of this chapter, if you have your Bibles open. 21 says, now Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. So the thing that saved Hezekiah was no big deal, really. I mean, it's a cake of figs applied to the boil. So God can send the dial backwards, and God can heal with band-aids on boils. He works in both ways. Hezekiah's prayer one. Now let's talk about Hezekiah's kingship. So Hezekiah survives. He has a son. He is a good king. He starts to reform Judah. And now we go backwards in the Bible, but forwards in time of chronology. Okay, So then we go to 36. Now remember, God had said, I'm going to save you from Assyria. Assyria is not going to win. And then we get 36.1. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Assyria is on the move. The nations around Judah are falling. These are Hezekiah and Ahaz's colleagues, the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of Hena, the king of Eva. And these, all these like city-states are being wiped out. And so Sennacherib is coming down onto him. And the city he just had taken is called Lachish. Now the thing about Sennacherib is he wanted everyone to know how awesome he was, like all of us, right? 
So he didn't have Facebook, whatever. He had reliefs. So he would depict what had happened. Steve, show me the first one of these. So this is a, a, a part of, well, this is where now he starts to talk about all the things that he has done. And he records them on these pretty awesome stone tablet deals. Okay, and we have these. And, and then the next one, he, he writes these pictures, right? So these, these depict what's happening. And this is in the British Museum in London. So sometimes we think, like, this stuff didn't happen. Um, it, it can feel to us like the New Testament is Narnia, right? Or we're, we're talking about the moons of Endor. And this is Star Wars-y places. But no, these are real places. This is real history. And Sennacherib would tell you what he did. And guess what? There's not one of these for Jerusalem. You're not going to find it because he did not take Jerusalem. Sennacherib didn't. Okay, perfect. So now we see. So Sennacherib sends this dude, 36-2, and the king of Assyria sent Rob Shaka. That is a cool name. Rob Shakalaka. Right? And so Shakalaka guy, he comes over, <clears throat> and they had just taken Lachish. Now, one little aside is Sennacherib changes the Assyrian capital, and he changes it to Nineveh. Where have we heard Nineveh? In the book of... Yeah. So, um, so it's just interesting. Um, Nineveh, and he made this massive building project. And so anyway, sh- sh- uh, Rob Shaka stands outside the gates of Jerusalem and he starts taunting everybody in the king. You start to see this in uh, verse 4. Say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and powerful war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you're trusting in Egypt. So that's, you know, they've made alliances. So Rob Shaka starts to say, Yo, Hezekiah, Judah, Jerusalem, you are toast. Look at what has happened. All of these other people said the same exact thing you're saying. They all stood up against us. And you know what? They had armies, and they had gods. You got a god, they got a god, and here we are steamrolling all of them over. What makes you think you're going to be any different when you stand before us you are crazy. You are not reading the evidence around you. Do not be that foolish. Give up now. That sounds amazingly contemporary, doesn't it? If you trust in God, if you believe in Jesus, people all around you are going to say, you're crazy. To put your trust in that? Trust science. Trust human progress. Trust the things that you can see. What you're believing in is weak, impotent. It will fail you. It's all talk. It's illusion. It's your imagination. It's a construction. You want it to be true. I mean, at least trust astrology. It's wacky anyway. 
but trust in Jesus and follow Him? So we hear this same message. And I believe it sometimes. How can God help me in this situation? It feels like the army is at the gate of my life. I'm hearing the voices from my own head. This is not working. God, where are you? How are you going to help me with my finances? How are you going to help me in my marriage? How are you going to help me as a single mom? How are you going to help me as a divorced dad? How are you going to help me in my same-sex attraction? How are you going to help me with the grievances I have? Do you care? Are you there? Hezekiah must have thought that, right? Even though he had seen. Now, seeing what he saw certainly was something. But still, when that army has done all that and it's sitting there at the gate, that guy, Rob Shakalaka, made sense to him, right? I mean, Sennacherib has a Wikipedia page. I mean, he is big time. So maybe that is a good time to doubt God. I mean, you guys have seen these pictures of this, this flood and these earthquakes. 2013, uh, one of the biggest uh, tornadoes ripped through Moore, Oklahoma, which is right next to Oklahoma City. And I went down there. I put on my collar. And I started driving. And because I had my collar on, they would let me go through checkpoints that no one else would get to. Like, I don't know. It was like some sort of secret power that I had <clears throat> and so so they kept on letting me go and then then I parked and they said oh come and so I went to the main headquarters of the whole operation and they wanted me to pray and so I started praying for the the workers and the firefighters and you know it was like it was pretty cool but I didn't know what was going on and then eventually I started walking around the town I could not believe it I could not believe it It was dark, it was raining, and there was no one. No one. And I'm walking around completely destroyed city. Imagine if that's what's coming. And so what did Hezekiah do? He sent for Isaiah. That was good. He sent for Isaiah. This is in 37. As soon as Hezekiah heard all that stuff from the Rob Shaka guy, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth, and he went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priest, and covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. He sent for Isaiah. He sent for the person who had given him the word, the prophet of God. And you know what? In, in all the things that I described, you can do that very same thing. In, in your crazy, crazy struggle, you can send for Isaiah. And he's right here. And you can start saying, Isaiah, what would you say about this? How can I hear from you? Because, praise God, we have the Scriptures. 
We are not left to our own devices. That is such good news for us. In, in the middle of this world where nothing seems like it can be trusted, God can be trusted. And right here, Judah lurches awake. It realizes that Isaiah's words are true, and Hezekiah goes to pray again. Look at 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messages and read it, and Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Now, check out this prayer. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone are of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God, to mock you. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to all these nations and all their lands, and they have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods at all, but the work of men's hands, wooden stone, therefore they are destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kings of the earth may know that you alone are Lord. Dude, that guy's been reading the Valley of Vision now all of a sudden, right? <clears throat> he repents, admits his folly, admits they've been depending on Egypt, admits their helplessness, their fear, their failure, and they want to go forward to save us for His glory. That is a good prayer. He knows that God can do it. He knows that God can come through. He wants Judah to survive, sure, but God's name has been called into question. So this is a big deal. God's holiness, His transcendence, these, these attributes of God. And, and Sennacherib and Rabshakeh had not counted that they encountered the actual God. See, that's not in their brains. And in this specific situation, Hezekiah prays these things. So then what happens? This is where you flip to the end of chapter 37. And an angel of the Lord, this is, Bethany had us sing about the angels of the army of the Lord, right? And an angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, there were all these dead bodies. Yo, and Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived in Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Amrechelech and Sherazer, his sons, struck him down with a sword. And after they escaped in the land of Ararat, Ereshadon, his son, reigned in his... God rescued Jerusalem. God sent an angel. Now remember, God sent an angel in Exodus. God sends an angel again. And later, after they had gone home, because he didn't get to write a relief about Jerusalem. He gets murdered by his own sons. He did got done to him what he had wanted to do to Hezekiah. Can we pray like Hezekiah? Can we ask God to meet our needs? Will he rescue us? Do we know that we need rescuing? 
okay, Hezekiah's legacy. Talked about two prayers, and now let's talk about a psalm. We're going back to 38. Hezekiah is one of Judah's uh, best kings. Um, he wasn't that amazing, but he did was the king when this amazing thing happened, right? So, so Hezekiah, numb with shock in 38, tearful, exhausted, cries out. He, he lifts his eyes to heaven, and he sees this knife coming down. But he doesn't grab the blade, he grabs the handle, and he gets 15 more years. So he's grateful. <clears throat> he's experienced God's saving power in his spirit and in his body, and then later he's experienced it to his city, right? Now, he has suffered, but that has drawn him nearer to God. This is what Laura was talking about. Our suffering, our pain has actually been part of what has made us who we are. And now Hezekiah can say, God never left me. He was always there. God's not the author of sin, and he's not gone. My story is his story. He intended this sickness for me. He intended these painful things that I wish never have happened. But I'm alive. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he's given this reprieve. He's given 15 more years. But then he will die. What about Jerusalem? If we're on these parallel tracks, right? God has saved Hezekiah. God has saved Jerusalem. How long does Jerusalem have? Forever? No. 587. The Babylonians, 587, take out Jerusalem. So they get 124 years. Hezekiah will die. He was a righteous king, especially according to him. But he's not the Messiah, is he? No, he's not the Messiah. He's not the one we're looking for. In fact, his legacy is Manasseh, who was one of the worst kings. He was awful. He reigned for 55 years. He leaves behind someone who brings disaster. And Hezekiah himself sowed the seeds of his own demise. He made pacts with Babylon. And, and, and Israel knows that Babylon's no friend, but now Judah, Judah realizes this. So this deliverance they, that they get is awesome, but it is not heaven. It is not the final say. This king was a good king, but he's not the king of kings or the lord of lords, right? Both are still to come. We're still waiting. Now, we, we're not waiting for one of them, but they're still waiting. But they're pictures of it. And so that's why it's cool, after Hezekiah gets saved, he starts to sing to praise, right? He says in verse 10, 38, I said in the middle of the days I must depart, and I'm consigned to the gates of Sheol the rest of my years. And I said, I shall not see the Lord in the land of the living. I, I shall not look on man anymore. But like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O oh Lord, I'm oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me and he himself has done it. I walk slowly in all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. But O oh Lord, by these things men live. And all these 
the life of the Spirit. Restore me to health and make me live. And so he starts to sing, right, in 20. The Lord will save me and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our house. Hezekiah starts to sing about how God disciplines those he loves because he loves. He saves, but we need saving. Julie and I have a friend. His name is Josh. He, he eventually became an elder. When he had his, his first child, Aiden, was like three or four. You know, sort of like Gus, a little bit maybe younger. And uh, I don't I don't Is he five? Five, okay, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, so Aiden was fussing, and this had been a common thing. And so, like, apparently this time he was going to get disciplined downstairs, you know. And so... We, we're sort of a little bit like this. We can all sort of know what's going on. It's not really a private matter because we're all in church together. And so Josh is like, okay, we're going out. So he picks up Aiden and he, he starts going back and Aiden yells, help, somebody help. <laughs> that didn't go over real hot to the dad, but we all thought it was amazing, Right? But here's the thing is, um, his dad, Josh, was helping Aiden, right? Now, he was going to inflict a very momentary amount of pain in his life. And the reason is because if you continue to sin and it's never checked, that will destroy you. The wages of sin is death. Now, the wage of that little sin was a little maybe hand slap or whatever. But that's to remind you, if you continue with this posture, it's not this one, right? But this posture against the people who love you, against your Father, in the house of the Lord, it's okay to be distracted or unruly. But if you continue being against you will destroy yourself. And so God comes in in the form of his dad, Josh, to save him, right? Aiden got help from his dad. The Lord will save me and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives in the house of the Lord. On Tuesday, Jim and I were at Presbytery. Carl was there. Now, you should come to Presbytery sometime. If you really want to be bored out of your mind, and if you think maybe in the new heavens and the new earth, Robert's rules of order will be your delight. I don't, I think that will be banished from the new heavens and the new earth, personally. And of course, also on this time, this pastor had died. And so there was this pall about the room. I think I put, it's, it's Tom Winger, not Ted Winger. I, I, know, I have another friend named Ted Winger. Tom Winger died. And so then at the end of the meeting, uh, one of the pastors suggested we sing a hymn. And so we sang, It is Well with My Soul. I would have loved for there to be women there, but there's like 60 dudes. And... And then they break into parts. 
and we're singing this song that, I mean, I can't hear it without crying anymore at least. Sung by these men who have committed their lives to helping the church in the midst of this disaster, in the midst of this business, testifying that it is well with my soul. And someday, all of our sins are going to be taken away. Oh, the glory at that thought. And we're not there yet. But even still, it is well with my bowl, my soul. And that felt to me in that moment like a little bit of a, a fig cake on the boil. Didn't make all that stuff go away, but it was a fig cake on the boil. And so just remember, in the midst of our difficulty, we have these moments where we still touch the Lord, where He still touches us. And Hezekiah was spared, and guess what? Hezekiah died. Think about Lazarus, spared, resurrected, and then what happened? Died. Jerusalem, spared, then what? Fell. So maybe being spared isn't the real point of it all. It's important. Our bodies are important. Our cities are important. Our situations are important. But there's something else a Savior. That we cry out for. A Redeemer who conquered death by dying, right? Who took the full weight of God's destruction so that we can be saved like what Carl is talking about inside. So we can be His sons and daughters. Redeemed people. So these miracles point to God's saving work. That isn't the saving work. It's pointing to the saving work. When Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. When Jesus comes to rescue sinners. When Jesus comes eventually to overwhelm and redeem all that said is wrong. Because Jesus loves the injured downcast, poor in spirit, mourners, and the weak. And He rescues. He seeks and saves and rescues. The Lord will save me because I need saving. We tell our stories of rescue so that we remind ourselves and we hear from others what God is doing in our lives. The story is about the deliverer. Not the delivered. The story points us to Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king. The one who commands the angels. So we should trust in him, follow him, worship him, believe in him. Because he is way better and more trustworthy than Jack Bauer ever could be. Amen? Amen. We have a few ways to respond.